Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's... um... Tuesday, I've been out of uh, commission for a couple days, that's why you haven't heard. Uh, my kids went to Florida, to Orlando for the weekend. They took their children and they invited my wife and me and my daughter, Ali Sheva, to come down. And uh, we went down with them, so I was out of commission. I haven't been in Orlando in a million years, 25 years probably. Uh, today's podcast, so I'm trying to catch up, I'm a little... Got in late last night and hit the road in college all day today. I'm just trying to <clears throat> keep up with my schedule, with my commitments. Um, today, uh, talk is being sponsored by uh, Dove Hirsch. Really very grateful to him. Uh, he's sponsoring two, actually. He's really stepped up to the plate. And uh, I, as I say before, that's, uh, that's the real thing. So thank you very much. <clears throat> and now without any further ado... I'm going to, I'm not, my head's not into uh, sinking into the deep subject, but uh, because of class I taught today in college, so I'll, 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 I'll tell you what I was thinking about. Uh, today's Purim Cotton, <clears throat> and that reminds me of Ramosha Feinstein, I know it's yours, it was either Adar Risha or Shani, I don't remember. I think I was at the funeral, but maybe I wasn't, maybe I was at a hookup. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, I mean, in Baltimore, you know, did a hookup. Uh, this was before... He passed away in 86, 87, I believe. That's before, you know, um, the Zoom and all the technology associated with that. Uh, <clears throat> now, I'm not going to do a biography of Moshe Feinstein. That's too big for me right now. I'm exhausted. But I'll tell you what always strikes me in the most interesting, important part. And that is, uh, Moshe Feinstein, I, I've made this point before, is the only uh, response writer I know in American Jewry certainly in the in Litvish world, in the Shibsha world. Now, let me explain what I mean. We have something called the response literature, Shalas and Shibsha literature, which is a whole branch of rabbinic literature and is, is a happy hunting ground for a historian. In fact, I'm hoping next semester to do a course on this in Hopkins. I haven't done it in many years. I think we used to call it Religious Law Wrestles with Change or maybe The Immutable with the Mutable, some title like that. <clears throat> and... Uh, when you talk about Shalas and Shubas this, as a branch of literature, you know, you have to do, as I always say, A and B. Uh, there are many people who have written books of responsa, but most of them don't get traction. Most of them don't get out there. Digger's Moshe, of course, is an outstanding example that one certainly did. As soon as I say Ramosha finds it, immediately people think Digger's Moshe. Right? I don't think they're thinking of the Dibber's Moshe, which is his stuff on Shas. I've looked at it maybe a dozen times in my life. Uh, but if you're talking about the Moshe Feinstein, about the Igris Moshe, which is the Shalos and Shubas, which of course is a, is is a reflection of America in the 20th century, the the sublime and the ridiculous, the noble and the ignoble, you know, the conservative, reformed, the orthodox. It's a happy hunting ground for the person who wants to see what life was really like, and as I said before. There were, there certainly are rabbis that in America who publish Shalos and Shubas. 
And if you want to get a nice, if if you're into this, which is nothing wrong, it's nice. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the who used to be in Chicago, uh, the famous Rabbi Schwartz, Gedalia Doe Schwartz. Uh, I, he gave me actually a head from his grandson. Uh, he wrote a book where they published the speeches of his. Uh, in about I forget what the name is, something Gedalia, it's in English. And he and, and, and it's about old Shilas from America, let's say hundred years ago, hundred and twenty or three years ago. You know, the Erev at that time, the mikveh or lack of mikveh at that time. Shmir Shabbos, you can imagine what that is at that time. Kashras Oive <laughs> at that time. And similar topics. It's a wonderful book. I used it in show. You know, it's it's very good it's in English. And it's made what I would say for a dumb audience, you know, uh, a general audience. And you see, he loved, Rabbi Gedali Dabu Schwartz, it was a great gone. He loved these old Sforum of yesteryear, what I would call Dagodas Rabbanim types, who published maybe significant Sforum, perhaps, but uh, but they didn't get anywhere. So, who out there really is familiar with the Shalas and Shivas? I don't know, the Rabbi Pfeffer, you know, or Rabbi Levin in, in, in Massachusetts. Or, uh, you know, I don't know, Epstein. All these names that even I, I should know this, though, but I didn't pull out the book to look at it. Yeah, I remember these, they were big Rabbonim in the sense of knowledge in St. Louis, in Detroit, in Chicago, in New York, and, and around the country. Rabbi Geffen in Atlanta with the Coca-Cola. You know, and Rabbi Gedalia would love this stuff. And therefore, he varfed back and forth. And it was very good. Very good. But, those guys don't get into the pantheon. Meaning, there's like a list of people out there that for one reason or another hit it and made the A-list. Uh, why that's true is an interesting question. That's what I'm considering now that I'm doing this podcast today in in, in the art site, or more or less the art site of Moshe Feinstein, because he made the A-list. <clears throat> so how come all these other people publish stuff and uh, what's his name? And it uh, comes a Grobart, you know, a Chavola ben I mean, these are big. These are big people, and they knew Shas, and you know, they were not dummies at all. But uh, I'll say it again: most people out there, unless you're a specialist, aren't familiar with these. And that's the way it's always been. In the 1800s, every rabbi and his brother in Hungary, which is the Greater Kingdom of Hungary, Central Hungary, Transylvania, Slovakia, and so forth. Publish Shabbos and Shabbos. You used to have a joke. You put together any two words, and it's, and it's a Hungarian Shabbos. You know, Sintenis, you can seal. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, Mishkan, uh, Abernathy. I don't know. It, you, you put two words because somebody did it. And that's because in Hungary, unlike the Litvishian world, there was a very strong tradition, I would say set by the some several people like that, of publishing important Shabbos and Shabbos. But because there's so many... So the quantity overall is the quality in the sense that the average person isn't familiar with it. Uh, I think the Hasidic Shaposkim are. Um, that's my impression. Uh, I myself learned about most of these people from the Sharm Tzion Balacha long ago when I was a kid. You know, because he was Ungar Sharov, you know, like a Slovakian type uh, rabbi there. And he has all these, uh, you know, uh, like as he's formed it, <coughs> most people haven't heard of. And But when I say... <coughs> Excuse me, most people have heard of in my world, you know, in what you call roughly speaking the yeshiva world. You know what I'm saying? It's got nothing to do, right? It's got nothing to do with, with you know, them being good or bad. That is my point today. 
from a historical perspective, it's very fascinating to ask yourself the question, why do certain swarms take off and others swarms don't? Especially when, if you ever, as an individual, may compare a swarm, you may, as a person yourself, you have a right to your opinion, honestly say like this, I think B is better than A in my opinion, you know? But it doesn't matter. In fact, that used to be an old-fashioned way of writing dissertations. You find somebody no one ever heard of, and you build it up, and you, you do your homework, and then you make the case this person has been underappreciated, and it could very well be true that they are underappreciated. So you had X number of rabbis in the United States of America, besides their Moshe Feinstein, in the 20th century, who, in their lifetime, published Shalos and Shubas, who were abundant in the practicing rabbinate. Uh, I, I'm not referring, by the way, to the phenomenon of posthumous publishing of Chubas, because that's a different business. Uh, I don't believe, the, as I understand it, the Satmarov didn't publish any Chubas when he was alive. His guys afterwards have done that, and there's no question he was a gigantic gone, and I'm sure he was a gigantic Meshav, and so on and so forth. You know, he was, but it's not like when I was a kid, you heard of Satmarov, and you say, oh, you know, it's like the Igris Moshe, you know, the Igris uh, Yoel, or something like that. Uh, he was associated, if it comes to books, with the anti-Zionism stuff, you know, the Divrei Yoel and all that stuff, like the Shal Shavuos, whatever it was called, uh, Al-Gamulva, uh, uh, Tmura, that's what he associated with. So, we have in the history of Claudius Yisrael um, all kinds of gedolim, and it's just very interesting because they're not from a cookie cutter, as I always say, and some people hit it big as uh, Balak Hadushim, uh, and not for Shalos and Shubas, maybe they didn't write anybody. Just off the top of my head would come to mind the Pnei Yeshua, something like that, off the top of my head. Then you have people that were big in Shubas and not in other things. Uh, again, like the Truma Sadesh and somebody that comes to mind. And then you have people that may have been big, I don't know, you know, in, in, in Chumash and that sort of thing. And sometimes it could be in, um, well, if it's Kedushim, as it's in Shalos and Shubas, I mean, that's mainly what's out there. Uh, I think, uh, you know, somebody could read a halacha sefer per se, which, like the Mishnah Bura, for example, or Recha Shochan, which are uh, obviously halachic farm, which is not Shalos Nubis. Here, think, for example, about the Gitzur Shulchan Aruch. Here's a guy who wrote a whole bunch of swarm, very chashim too, in all the different fields, you know, the Kesa Sofer and the Simla Chadosh and all that business. And he's not associated with, I don't even, as far as I know, he didn't publish any Shalos and Shubis, so he published a, a whole lot more. And so a person can be famous for one area and not necessarily for the other. Once in a while, you hit, you get a double or a triple, but that's kind of rare. You understand? Rebizu Klan Inspector is famous for Shalos and Shubas. I know he had some other stuff also, but I don't think anybody hardly looks at that. Same, Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my impression. Same thing with Moshe Feinstein. I don't think, maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, then Slach Lonovini Kichotano. But as far as I can see, you know, Nobody, I, who uses the Dibris Moshe, you know, it's a, I, I'm just saying, when I was in Yeshiva, you know, once in a while, you looked in, it was so big, you know, I remember Baba Basra or something like that, but you see, I'm talking, but the but Dibris Moshe used all the time, all the time, uh, believe me, you're in the pulpit, you need, you need solutions, that's one of the places, it's not the only place, it's one of the places you go, and so, Ramosha is definitely a person that hit the charts on the response to literature, it's based on that, that, you know, the art school might now might publish a Moshe Feinstein's uh, comments in the book of Job, whatever. But, you know, that's not who he was. <clears throat> that's what I'm talking about. 
And so you can have somebody who was a big rabbi in New York or Chicago, whatever it is, it is but you can't say come famous, go to publish Shalos and Shubas. Maybe in his day, I don't know, in the 1920s, whatever, maybe in his day he was a big deal because he was an energetic and important leader, you know. But, you know, like Relays of Silver type or something like that. But they're not famous in the literary sense. That's what's what's interesting uh, to me. And in the history of Claudius Rowe, which really means the, the two two layers, A and B, the, the first layer and the layer below them. The first layer would be the scholarly layer, and below them is the Hamunam. So in the scholarly layer, uh, at least in the Lithuanian, German type of thing, so uh, like I say, there's, this, there's a limited number of books that hit the charts. Shalos uh, and Shubas. So if you're talking about for the 1800s, it's, uh, uh, of course, it's, you know, I don't know, the Chassam Sofer, the Rikiv Eger, things like that. Or Yisrael Khan Spectre, of course. Uh, here, I would say, take Denetziv. It is true, Denetziv published, I think, just before he died, a lot of his letters, which amount to the Shalos and Shubas, that's not who he was. You get it? He wasn't a, I mean, he was a rub, of course, but I'm saying, that's not who he was. Zikr was the Yeshiva. That was like afterthought. So they're very interesting, and they're often quoted, but that's not who 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 you think of. You see what I'm saying? It's not as Iker. Had he wished to, of his caliber, he could have put out ten volumes. Masha'en King, you think of the Sholem Eshev, that's who he was. You see? That is who he was. So it's it's interesting in these genres, at least to me today. It's interesting in terms of the genres. And um, it, it depends on a lot of factors that go into it. Uh as, once upon a time long ago, people who were communal rabbis would be more inclined to be publishing these Shalos and Shubas. I'm talking about the 15, 16, 1700s. I'll say it again. Somebody who was a rabbi of a kehel, of a community. So first of all, you get a lot of questions for your community. And second of all, you had to reach a certain level that they would hire you to be a rabbi of a community. So probably in the province and other places people sent you. And these are the famous names, by and large, from yesteryear. So if you talk about the 14, 15, 16, 1700s, if you show me the people who published Shalos and Shubas, I would say 90% were communal rabbis. Rabbanim of cities. No to be Uda, for example. You know, we know it's so, uh, Although he didn't really publish Shalos and Shubas. But I don't know, you know, for the people from that time. The Knesset, the Cheskel, whoever, whoever it is. Right? Now, um, when you get to modernity, it's kind of interesting. Because Ramosha Feinstein uh, operated in a funny period. He was born in the late, 18, uh, late 1800s. He died in uh, 87, I guess. He lived in the 20th century. First part of his life, I think we all know, is so I'm not telling you anything you don't know. He was in Russia, in that area over there. And then eventually he escaped from Stalin and got over here. That's the long and the short of it. Now, the way the yeshiva world developed in the 1800s, early 1900s, was for the lumbas. This I'm not telling you anything you don't know. The emphasis was away from Halachalamaisa and, and, and onto the Lumdas. Just think of Brisk. Just think of Roshim and and people like that. You know? It's it's the Lumdas. Uh, therefore, most of what we would usually call Gedolim in the Yeshiva world aren't associated with the publication of Shalas and Shivas. Uh, because they were Rosh Shivas and not Rabbanim. That's what they chose to do. To be Rosh Shivas, not Rabbanim. Now, in a technical sense, don't write to me like a baby, you know, this guy was a really rough in, in Slobodka of the community, all the rest of it. That may be true, but the Iker, what they did was the yeshiva, because they realized in the 1800s, early 1900s, 
that the future does not lie in the Kehillah, but the future lies in the Yeshiva. The Kehillah, unfortunately, is going down the tubes. That's just what the Matthias in the 1800s, early 1900s. Everybody knows the story that, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Yisrael Salanter ran away from Russia in the 1850s because he said, what's the expression, the, the horses and the wagon are running down the hill, he can't stop it. You understand? I'm going to Germany where it already hit rock bottom and then we can start pushing it back up. So that was perceived by a lot of people. And consequently, although there were Chasha or Rabbanim, and they certainly were people who wrote Chubis and this and that and the other, but I can't think, other than Bitsagokhan and maybe one or two others, of names that took off as Meshivim, notice, as classic Shalas and Shubas Svarim. Uh, and even the Ritzelokhan, I mean, you, know, you don't see too much in Yeshiva, but it was very, very uh, well known in its day. I mean, you know, that was uh, definitely true at the top of the charts. Uh, now, why? You know, what is it that, that does it? Well, first of all, there has to be a certain reception among the 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 Tamina uh, I'm asking myself. Well, Bishkan died in 1896, so in his time, the old Kehillas were still there. They were just dying, but they were still there. So there were hundreds of rabbanim, hundreds, who could appreciate what he's publishing and use it. Were the yeshiva guys, you know, looking up to Ain Yitzchak and so forth? I don't think so. But still, as I said before, there were still hundreds of rabbanim, and and maybe more. And uh, and it took off around the world. Now, I always have a little slogan. In order to be a successful person and get in the pantheon, to be one of the people that whose who's, uh, chew has hit the charts, to get a real traction out there, you have to have the three S's. S, S, and S. It's scholarship. It's um, saintliness. Because by us, if a person has a reputation for taking bribes or being crooked or anything underhanded, I don't think he's going to have much of a, a success as a Shalos and Shubis, he's not going to get out there because the public's just not going to have the, he's not going to have the charisma. See, the charisma, in my opinion, of the Shubis is composed of the three S's. It's uh, the saintliness, the scholarship, and sanity. Okay, sanity has to be that you're dealing with somebody who's perceived to be sane. I don't mean as opposed to insane, but I mean as opposed to extremism. You get it? Extremism. Someone who's looked to be vild, extremist, mashuga, and so forth, even if he's a gone not going to get much much in the way of Shalos and Shubas. And if you do, if it gets published, it'll be a very narrow circle and won't, it won't hit the charts. It will not hit the charts. It's got to be, like Ramosha, there's a perfect example. People say, I guess, I'm dealing with someone, of course, scholarship, obviously. Saintliness, that was an icker component of the charisma of Ramosha Feinstein, who considered Sadiq Yisodol, which he was. Okay? So in other words, the firm world is full of so much phonies and so much balloonies, and you know, listen, we it's the truth that when you actually come across an honest man, you know, it's 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 a it's something to talk about. Remember, Diogenes walked around with a with a torch, you know, in the middle of the day, looking. I'm I'm looking for one honest man. So you're looking for one honest uh, person. So you know, with Ramosha, you don't have to go any farther. Okay, that image, that reputation is absolutely essential. That's what we meant as saintliness, and finally, sanity. You know, there's no point, listen closely to what I'm about to tell you, there's no point in me writing a Shiloh to somebody that I already know what the answer is. <laughs> you get it? If you're, extra, uh, it's a waste of my time to write a Shiloh to the Satmar Rebbe if we can have an Israeli flag initial. <laughs> get it? You already know what he's going to say. There's no point. 
if it's really, if I was a rabbi in 1960, as happened to Ramosha, whatever the year was, and you had a guy, as a question, you know, the show wants to have, as all the shows had, it's American flag, Israel flag, you know, anybody's old enough to remember that. And there probably still are shows like that today. So, from a strictly halachic perspective, not from a political perspective, strictly halachic perspective, can you have American flag? Can you have a Israeli flag? I'm just off the top of my head. You know, if you're writing to the Satan Rebbe, you know, the answer is going to be no. You also knew that if you wrote to this and this rabbi, the answer is going to be yes. Correct? Because he's all lenient on everything. It's sad, but you, you want somebody, you don't know what the answer is. <laughs> Do you get my point? You don't know what the answer is. That way you figure he's really going to look it up and use his Das Torah, as we call it. Now, it's his reading of the sources and integrating them with the knowledge of who you are and what the circumstances in your community are and what the Kehola can handle, what they can't handle, and so on and so forth, to come up with a real chuba. That's the Torah Shabbat That's the real Torah Shabbat to to, to to write something very scholarly, all the rest of you know what it is beforehand, is not going to help. And if you're considered, like I said before, not normal, you know, not sane, in the regular middle middle of the road sense, is not going to work. Now, middle of the road is is, is a, maybe the wrong term, but you understand what I'm saying. It's a normal. We're looking for normal. I want a gato and a posse who's normal, who, understand, who, who won't tell me to do something I can't do. Unless, unless it's absolutely necessary. You see? If I'm dealing with a gadol who won't tell me to do what I can't do unless it's absolutely necessary, then if he says it is necessary, I'll listen. Because I know he's not doing it because he's lazy and because it's extreme. It's never, you know, that's the din. See, you know, if Ramosho would always try to, if you ever read his chubas, he's always trying to help the local rabbi in his shul, which wasn't easy back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, all the rest of it. You know, sometimes he might say like this, listen, there's nothing to do, you have to quit. You understand? Know but you know, or that rabbi knew, he didn't just drop it off his tongue. He was yeshiv on it, and he thought the matter through, and there is no heter. If there isn't, there isn't. That's the grandeur of the three S's. So when you know you're dealing with somebody like that, if he tells you something you don't want to hear, you're willing to listen to it because you know he didn't do it from an ideological perspective. This is the das of the Torah, as he understands it, and he thought it through. Um, that's not so common. That is not so common. And that's why you find in history that the Shalatubas have a certain type of flexibility, but not always. The not always is the cool part because you see that, you know, he this person has such a reputation that people were willing to listen even when he said something that they didn't want to hear. It's very easy for somebody, it happens all the time now, especially with the internet messages, People send out messages you don't want to hear and you don't have no intention of listening to. Okay? And somebody ranks them out and cuts them out and gives this muscle and that and the other. And you talk, talk, talk. You know as well as I do. The guy can talk till he's blue. It's not really affecting the audience or the people who's reading it or, or whatever. So if I want to say, you know, do this, do that, and you don't want to listen, you know, I'm just having a good time <laughs> shooting my mouth off, fine. But if I'm really trying to affect behavior and really trying to be pile on a certain group, whoever it is, and I want them to listen, I have to have creds with them. I have to be able to establish the trust with them. Now here's this Ramosha Feinstein, came from the Litvish world, from the Yeshivish world, he was a Rosh Yeshiva. He was not a rabbi of a shul in this country, which is interesting. Spent his whole time, I think everybody knows this, I, you know, you don't need me to tell you. From the time he came here, and it took him a little while, but you know, once he landed on his feet, it was MTJ, so 
I don't say he got a lot of money, but that's, you know, he was Rosh Hashiva. That's his identity. What other Rosh Hashiva is writing Charles and Shubas? Because before that, he had been in the Rabbonas. But, you know, he's not the only one to have been in the Rabbonas. I mean, uh, I don't know. You know, Rabbi Rudiman of Baltimore was, a, was in the Rabbonas, sort of, when he was here for, in the first years of near Israel. And he learned it all with the uh, Dvar of Rome. And, you know, he could have done But that's not what he was into. He's, it's not what he was into. Or a footner or something like that. It's just, it's just interesting. Now, um, plus, as I said before, there's such a thing called the posthumous publication of stuff. In which case, you don't know what they what they left in, what they left out. Once something is published posthumously after the death, it's always touched up. <laughs> that's, that's just the way it goes. What you see is a pretty picture, not necessarily the actual thing. And, and a lot of times, the children are quote-unquote firmer than the parents, and they won't publish what the parents wrote. I think comes to mind that famous, uh, what do you call it, Hassam Sofer, where he gave a hatter for the, uh, you know, not from a seat of a pet, but some kind of a tube or something, whatever it was. And uh, it is a letter from Hassam Sofer, and his kids didn't put in the Hassam Sofer, just the Talmud, who was in Vienna, when he published his shubas, so he included the Hassam Sofer part in it. You understand? In other words, the father didn't mind writing the tshuva, and it was a matter of Torah law, because he wouldn't have wrote it, written it. But the children didn't want to include it in there. Uh, so you have that problem. By the Igris Moshe, most of them were published by he himself. And so when he came out the first volume in 1959, and then what was in 62, and so on and so on, he was alive and kicking. And he was active and vigorous. And so he stands behind what he's writing, and he knows what he's talking about. And uh, that didn't stop Ramosha, as we all know, from giving some very controversial uh, rulings, even though he knew he would get a lot of fleck. I'm thinking, of course, off the top of my head about the artificial insemination. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. That's a lot of Lush and Harris associated with that. What they tried to do to him. But it didn't go because the public wasn't listening. You understand? People who criticized him and this and that and he called him. What are you going to say about me? Not from? <laughs> that's, that's a charge that's not going to go anywhere. You see? And it's always fascinating to me that a couple years ago they came out with this book, what's it called? Psychos Igris, I think, from some guy's dad. I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but I use it a lot. And he did a very nice job in which he went through all the Igris Moshe's and all the criticisms on it. I mean that in a scholarly sense, meaning there's a lot of things that were Moshe Paskin or arguments he made in reading, you know what I mean, Roshona, Machorna, Gemaris, and so forth, which are good things that come And it's true. And many have. And I hear sometimes, you know, I, and if you look, you know, in a Hanami, there's points to it. Um, and the guy who put it together did a wonderful job, you know, of all the people, you know what I mean? Shlom Zarbach, Vadi Yosef, Satmer maybe. Uh, you, know, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, which is fine. But on the contrary, it means that Moshe was sufficiently confident of his own opinion that he didn't mind publishing it and putting it out for what we call peer review. Because that's what it means when you publish Shalos and Shubas, you're putting yourself out on the line. And a lot of big people have always been afraid to put themselves out on their line. Maybe after they're dead, the children are doing so more in a pietistic con context. And so, as I said, when I think about the Gadon they had in America, big rabbis, this, that, and the other, uh, there's nobody that comes to mind who was publishing Shalos and Shubas. In the Hasidic world, I'm not so familiar. I think about Ungar there's more than that. But it didn't get much traction out there altogether all in general. You know, that all came later. Uh, and by definition, 
the Hungarians, like the Sotmer, the, the elders have Dayanim. You know, they have their basins, and therefore the Dayanim can always publish these sorts of things. But it did, doesn't get the kind of traction that we're talking about. Maybe it hits the A level, but not the B level. Maybe it hits the level of the scholarly community, and people will publish from Diane Roth and things like that. But if you ask the Oilam generally out there, they don't know it. Ramosha Feinstein was one of those relative few who became what I like to call a folk hero. And that's unusual. Because he became a folk hero, mainly on the basis of his Shalos and Shubas, which the public, which adored him, couldn't read. <laughs> you know, they can't read that stuff. Rove. Rove. They can't read that stuff. But he had, and I remember very well, I was a little kid, he had that uh, unique charisma. He was like a folk hero. And if somebody came and shook his hand, this it was a big deal. And, you know, George Washington slept here, as he say. We, I know families, they'll tell you, Ramosha slept by us. And that's a folk hero. Uh, I can't think of any rabbi like that today. Certainly not in America. It doesn't come to mind at all. Not at all. And he wasn't an active person like a Brian Cutler, a fighter and a ideological champion, all the rest of it. He followed, I would say, like all the good on the road there, Brian Cutler you know, plowed, shall we say. But, um, you know, he more or less checked all the boxes. He, you know, he fulfilled the role. Rosh Hashiva and Posik and the Aguda and uh, the Torah all that stuff. But um, he, he, he attained the status that the others, as I recall, that the others simply didn't have. You find this sometimes in history. Not so often, okay? Not so often. In other words, I asked myself the question, was the Nota Behuda folk hero? I mean, maybe to some degree in Prague, but there was always a lot of fights. It was like, that was like Karach Badoso over here. You know, was the Chassam Sover? Yeah, Chassam Sover probably more. You see? Um, it's not true that all the famous people out there were heroes of the masses. Sometimes. Right? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And uh, every single Hunter Spectre, for example, comes to mind. But most of finds it very much in that mold that it was a person... Benel Kibadam, you know, that was held by by the scholarly community on the one hand, and those who could read the Shalatibas and so forth, and yet at the same on the other hand, the Hamon Am, such as whatever the firm world was at that time, uh, regarded men and women, men and women regarded that time. That's where the saintly personality kicks in. But the saintliness has to be one in which it's not a ascetic saintliness, you know what I mean? The standoffish one, but uh Murabenabrius. Type things and all the stories you read in the in the art school biographies, all the rest of it, the good stories, the ones that people like, are the ones that we see as more benabrius. Okay, that's as far as I can see. Which is, for example, a different charisma than Avad Yosef, as far as I can see. You know, Avad Yosef always you know has this. Uh, he's extremely popular, and maybe in his possibly more popular. they Ramosha only because the Sephardim were like that, but um, and he had the biggest funeral in Jewish history since Moses. That's a, that's a fact. But having said that, um, you know, I think it's not the same more of Benabrius. You get it? That's that's as I can tell. Not the same more of Benabrius. Because if I knew didn't live in the Lower East Side, you know, it's a, it's a different Messias. Okay? Um, and in Israel, Shalos II is much bigger. But not in America. And I've always wondered about that. And yes, don't be a picky and send me an email. What about this guy who wrote a saver and that guy wrote a saver? These things don't take off. Not as far as I can say. I have a few of them myself. They don't really take off. Uh, it's like a wannabe or uh, That's the wrong word. But it's, it, you know, it, a few people know about it and that's all.
which is interesting. America seems to be the death knell of the Shalos and Shivas, by and large, by and large. Um, I think there's a lot of Korachs around here. So anytime you publish something, everybody's going to jump on you. America is that kind of way. I'll tell you again, Ramosha Feinstein, part of his charisma, part of his career was he had a very thick skin because uh, he took a lot of uh, attacks. I'll say it again, attacks for rulings of his that were considered controversial. Um, he was like that. Not everybody's like that. You understand? Most people want a quiet life and you and everybody would like the fame and fortune, but they don't want to have to respond to all the criticisms. Everybody would like to publish a safer that is immediately a bestseller and everybody possibly buy the safer and nobody has the arguments against it. But if you do that, you don't deal with brand new questions. You don't deal with hard questions. You don't deal thoughtfully, at least, with real questions. You know, if you remember, he got questions from gays, from all kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite remarkable. You understand? That's a charisma I don't know the like of which you're going to see anywhere else. Okay? You know, if I were gay or something, I wouldn't write to this rabbi. What, 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 what kind of answer are you going to get? Um, so it was it was uh, uh, unique in this regard. Okay? Unique in this regard. And um, I think that must say something about the American Jewish community. We've built up since the 40s a large, uh, as, as we would say. Um, but we haven't produced, even though there's a lot of big Talmudic Chacham out there, born and raised in the USA, right? And the yeshivas here, you know, the top guys are the top guys, no question about it. But as far as I can see, there's nobody who has busted through and emerged as the one, you know, that everybody wants to see their shouts and shivas today and use them in practical terms. So that if somebody comes and attacks me and says, Cats, how can you do this? I say, well, I saw it. Someone's no possible in that way. Oh, okay. <laughs> you see? If it's Igris Moshe, believe me, I've had cases like this where I had to do this and that and the other and somebody said, where'd you get that from? I said, it's Igris Moshe. I don't believe it. Look it up. Okay. He says it. Okay. You know, that's it. If he says it, that's it. Now, it is endemic to the rabbinical charisma, especially the charisma response writer, that there's always going to be a time gap, which means that for people living in that time when he was there, and maybe a generation after or so, so the person's charisma outweighs the criticisms. I'm talking about the intellectual criticisms. So you look at this Sefer, Psychus Igris, and he has all these, you know, uh, um, Sfarim and whatever published right and left, on uh, criticism of this or that specific point of Igris Moshe. So, usually they're substantive. Once in a while they're ideological. I'm not talking about the ideological ones, you know, from some modern guy or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, the substantive things, you know. He said, Hilke Shabbos. You, you, look, there are as you can that are strange in Igris Moshe. There are some. And if that had gotten out when I was young, people would say like this, that's interesting. It wouldn't take away from the authority of the Psaac. That's my point. Because when you hit the, the, the A level, the pantheon as they call it, then the person's own messias of who they were outweighs any specific intellectual criticisms. Theoretically, it shouldn't be that way. But as I told you a couple weeks ago with the pre-Chodesh, it is that way. You can't come and say like this, you don't know how to learn, this is wrong, all the rest of it. And here's why I say it. Because you wrote this and this is, I can challenge it from that. I get that, and I understand it, but the pre was blown off. Because in his time, when he was taking over Yosef Cairo, 
it was still close enough to the death of Yosef Kara that people like, you can't criticize the Mechaber. It's, you know, it's just the way it is. Now, over the course of time, sometimes it can happen, depending on who the author is, that somebody can say, you know, I have a tremendous caution to some silver, and I hold it's totally wrong. Maybe, you know, something like that. Certainly, a person could do it, um, forget the Chassam Silver, certainly could do it in the Knesset Yecheskel, you see, on the Shmus Yaakov, you know, on the Amunah Shmuel, something like that. Because most people don't have any emotional stuff invested in that particular Mechaber. They might not even know who they are. And they'll say, okay, I'm going to go strictly by the Savara. But when there's a personality associated with it, especially one that has a charisma of the type I'm talking about, um, the type I'm talking about, so uh, the intellectual argument is sort of like second place to, shall I say, the emotional uh, charismatic leadership. Um, that's what I would, I don't know if I've expressed myself well. I, I think I made my point. I would just go on to say that, you know, from now on, whenever you think about people like Shalos and Shubas, to the degree you're able to, you know, tr- try to put them in typology. Are you this type or that type? You know, let me say this. Uh, uh, when Rizal Hunt Specter published this stuff in the 1850s, 60s, and then in the 80s, so uh, everybody said, ooh, look at that. But he had critics. One of them, who was a bitter critic of his, was Rakachavar, a young guy at that time. And he said, Itchachana, and he made fun of him, and so forth. The Rakachavar was a Vilda person. I saw a week ago, two weeks ago, on the internet, something I didn't remember exactly where, that it was really funny to me. Uh, it must have been in Chakira or something like that. I, I didn't get Chakira, but I saw it quoted somewhere that the diary of Rabbi Fastman, who used to be in Skokie, in Chicago, and when he was young, you know, maybe not married in the 1930s, he goes with this guy on his trip to Palestine. You know, two, two American uh, Muslim from from uh, HTC. And it's like Forrest Gump. He meets the Reb Chaim Meiser, he meets this one, and he meet, they meet the Rogachover. The two, two guys from Skokie talk and learn with the Rogachover. I thought, he said, and he describes there what they talked about. I don't remember anymore. It was just interesting. You understand? The Rogachover was what? Now, he has Shalos and Shibas, the Tzavtas Panech, they're Chashev. But not in the same way they were smashing. Most people are familiar. I, I bet you most of you have never looked in a, in a Shilas and Shubas Safnas Paneach. Most likely. You understand? So, so he certainly didn't get that kind of uh, traction out there. So, um, it, it, you know, here we're dealing with Moshe Rabbeinu, these parshas, and people had some times of Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, it didn't matter. <laughs> it's still Moshe Rabbeinu. <laughs> you, you, you follow? It doesn't matter what your tie is. There aren't too many people you can say that about. Most people stand and fall on, on, on you know, their their arguments, their presentations, and so forth. Sometimes, and you see this, as I say, in the history of Shalos, there, there are famous meshivim that are like that, you know, from history. Truman's addition just jumps to mind, but there are quite a few that who they were, their character was of such a nature they kind of like overwhelmed the specifics of their psaac. People didn't say, oh, I read this and I'm persuaded by the psaac, by the argumentation. Rather, they said, like this, I read this, and since he said it, I'm going to go with his svar. And sometimes, if the high enough madriga, even though that svar doesn't make any sense with me, I'm mavato my das to him, because he's obviously got a big das to which one can be mavato. <laughs> you understand? Uh, that's not true of these many other svar that never made it. 
like I said, with the Heaven Gedalia Do Schwartz book. It could be that there you know, arguments, as I said before, um, that go to Rabbonimir, you know, are interesting and are good. But nobody's going to say, because I saw it in this uh, safer from, uh, you know, Buffalo in 1912, whatever, that settles the issue for me on the basis of the of the scholarship of the author. Usually it's because the, 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 the um, those rabbis were associated with communities and synagogues which were decadent. More and more people, as we all know, stopped keeping Shabbos. The younger generation totally fell away. It takes away from the saintliness, I guess, even though it shouldn't. Even though it shouldn't. It's not necessarily his fault. America was an overwhelming process back 100 years ago. But it takes away from it. Ramosha finds he hitched his star from the day he came here to the yeshivas, which took off. They actually started to take off Mamash when he came in the late 30s. That's the beginning of the beginning to take off. He hitched his wagon, his star, to, 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 you know, his, his wagon to this star. And ironically, his position as the Rosh Hashiva, which means he's part of a winning orthodoxy instead of a decadent and losing orthodoxy, gave his whole persona, um, you know, this this uh, uh, character, I would say, of a new and progressive force. That's what it seems to me. Um, and therefore, it's a winner operation and not a loser operation. And I guess maybe an American Jew in particular, you know, there's a famous expression, America loves a winner. Uh, and they don't like losers. Even though, from a purely intellectual point of view, it could be the losers of a person. But um, in this case, you know, he had a, the, the image of a, of a winner. Anyway, I just wanted, like I say, today's poem, I wanted to share some of these thoughts. Uh, I hope to organize these better for my coming course in the fall. Uh, but I think I think uh, it brings out some of the salient and very interesting, unique even points of uh, Ramosha Feinstein. And uh, with that, I will bid you a good day. I want to thank Tofresh once again for, uh, for sponsoring this uh, very much. And I'm going to try to catch up this week with the other podcasts. Have a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.